BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Well, met fellow adventurers, we are Sir Crokington. And we're going in into the tunnels beneath Elmbridge, which we just cleared out of all the goblins. Which we cleared out from all the goblins, and now we can go beneath the church into the tunnels. You cautiously make your way back into search. With no sign of goblin activity around, you quickly slip inside the now abandoned structure. You stand in a recessed corner of the Elmbridge Church, staring down at an open hatch in the floor. Below the hatch, a set of stone steps descends into shadow. You recall the words of Quick, and you're certain that the stairs below the hatchway lead down into the tunnels that he mentioned. It is the tunnels that Quig told you that the stranger fled, the goblins in pursuit. With Elmbridge now nearly free of its goblin occupiers, feel it is safe to descend into the tunnels should you wish to. And I do wish to, so I will. You take your first cautious steps into the gloom beneath the hatch and prepare to enter the tunnels. You're standing at the base of the stone steps that lead up into the church. Nothing stirs in the darkness that surrounds you. The silence that pervades these halls is quite unsettling. Okay, I'm at the western end of a corridor. Alright, I'm just making my way east. Your footfalls echo along the narrow, twisting passages that make up this ancient labyrinth. Okay, this is a. Okay, look from here, there's a path to the north that again then zigzags on the south, and a path to the south. Path to the north that zigzags along the north. And a path to the south that does the same along the south. I'll go south. Alright, southwest corner, here I am. An inexplicable sensation of disorientation suddenly comes over you, and you struggle to regain your bearings as you begin to aimlessly wander about the dark passages, picking a number, bonus of 20, all from spirit, gotta get 50 or more. Or I just get hopelessly lost. I guess, pick now. 56 success. You manage to stave off the effects of the strange sensation, regain your bearings before having wandered too far, of course. It's taking a moment to clear your head, you once again set off along the dark passage. Okay, making my way east, but in a wibbly wobbly way. Wibbly wobbly wobbly woo. The sound of many levelly feet pressing against the stone floor of the passage sends your pulse racing. 
the sounds of it, a sizable party of goblins is heading this way. I guess I'll just meet them. I could hide, but I'll meet them. A party of eleven cave goblins steps into view out of the room, less than five yards from where you stand. Immediately, one of the creatures cries out an alarm and points a crooked finger in your direction. The cave goblins rush along the passage in your direction, shrieking wildly. Well, I could run, or I could fight. Obviously, I'm going to fight. The cave goblins shriek wildly as they close in around you. It's a cave goblin search party. I'm fighting them all at once. But they're still green. Three plus. The cave goblins shriek as they hack and claw at you without mercy. Oh, I stab at them without mercy, so we're on the same page. Brutal blow for six damage. Oh, we keep going, brutal blow again, and they are slain. All of them. 262 experience. The walls and floor of this section of the passage are covered with the blood of the slain goblins. You carefully search through the remains and discover the following. Discover many items among the twisted remains of the goblins. Okay, a lot of terrible weapons. Well, yeah, it's all terrible weapons. Oh, and 19 gold. No, wait. Three gold and 19 golds of trinkets, making 22 gold. Satisfied you've not overlooked anything, you once again set off on your way along the dark passage. Okay, there's the southeast corner. Alright, and then, then the passages go back into the centre on both sides. And then in the very middle is a passage going off to the east. But I'm going to explore all the corners of this dungeon, so making my way along the north side. Maybe I'll encounter another search party. Or maybe not. Maybe that was a random encounter. Maybe it was preset. Not quite sure. Had to play it again to be sure, but I probably forgot by then. Uh, okay, I've now explored. I've explored the north side. And I've explored the south side. So now just to go right down the middle. To the east side which will come up somewhere I guess. Or maybe it will come further down. Of course I've played this before. But you don't remember every little detail. Because there are millions and millions of words of texts in this game. You literally cannot remember everything. You know, unless you're an elephant or something. But I don't think any... I don't know any elephants to play Swift. Sure, they could. They'd enjoy it. But... They don't make the mice small enough. Uh, nearly to the end. Eastern corner. Eastern edge of the dungeon. Here I come. You arrive at the end, dead end of the passage find yourself witness to a horrifying scene. Two armoured goblins and an ogre stand over the body of a woman. The woman whose face is painted in a pattern that suggests an attempt at camouflage is still alive but appears to be severely wounded. The two goblins begin sniffing the air wildly and spin to face you. Hideous snares spread, spreading across their diseased whittled faces. The painted one has a friend says one of the goblins in a mocking turn. The painted one has a friend! 
says one of the goblins in a mocking tone. One of the goblins issues a sharp command, and the ogre, wielding a thick shafted wooden spear, stomps in your direction. I could run, or I could fight. Uh, I think I have to fight, because I don't think she's going to last very long. Attack the fearsome spear-wielding ogres. Ogre. The ogre wars, exposing its massive, bone-crushing teeth. As it draws to within melee range, you nimbly dodge the first thrust of its spear and counter with your own attack. Spear-wielding ogre begin combat. Thrust its wooden spear at you, but I just stab right past it, and it is slain for 37 experience. Which, witnessing the slaying of the oak was apparently too much for one of the goblins. The cowardly, okay. Hey, hey, let's, let's, not just, let's not cast aspersions on it. It's just showing the slightest sense of self-preservation. Yes, but admittedly, not really showing any sense of anyone else's preservation, but you take what you can. The cowardly creature shrieks past you before it can react and disappears into the gloom of the passage. The lone remaining goblin sneers and draws a scimitar. You firmly plant your feet as you prepare to square off against this bloodthirsty foe. It's an elite cave goblin warrior, but probably not elite enough because once again it's a 3+. Nearly everything is a 3+, unless it's scaled or impossible. Swipes it to this scimitar, and I stab with my dagger, and it is slain. It is slain for 37 XP. You step over the bloodied remains of the slain goblin and rush to the side of the wounded woman. Her face is painted in an intricate pattern of green and brown leaves, suggesting she has been done for the purpose of camouflage. You kneel beside her. She looks up at you and smiles weakly. A most unexpected rescue, but most welcome, she says. You go up to her feet and after... Taking a moment to steady herself, she tells you it's not safe to linger here. She quickly introduces herself as Stalin and says there's a way out of the tunnels nearby. There's no time to explain, she says, her eyes nervously scanning the shadows of the passage. The way out of here is not far. When we're standing beneath open sky, we'll have lunch with speaking more freely. Let us go on. Let us go, quickly. You follow Farlin as she leads you along the twisting passages at a brisk pace. Now and again, she stops and leans up against the wall, wincing painfully. Following these episodes, it's nearly a minute before she is able to continue on. At last, you arrive at a wobble-cloaked passage, at the far end of which you can see, plainly see the faint hint of daylight. Can I use restoration here? I can only use it on myself. It just didn't occur to Sir Crokington to heal her, because uh, it just didn't. Alright. Followed behind Tharlin, you've navigated only half the length of the Wobblestool Passage, when a fat sound from behind alerts you to approaching danger. Looking back over your shoulder, you're dismayed to see a group of six cave goblins scrambling over the debris in the passage as they rapidly close in on you. With the human shrieks of the approaching goblins ringing in your ears, you shout to Tharlin and tell her to flee to safety while you cover her escape. Then, with grim determination, you firmly plant your feet, all four of them, and steal your nerve to face the immediate onslaught.
The first three goblins draw to within melee range and immediately attack. I'm guessing the passage is really only wide enough for three of them to attack at once. Using the debris that cloaks the chokes the passage to the best of your advantage, you bravely engage the murderous trio. Three cave goblin scouts stab, 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 stab. They slice at you with their short swords. I stab with my shorter dagger, but I still win. They are slain. 37 XP. The two cave goblins pile over the corpses of their kin and thrust wildly at you with wooden spears. The goblins seem determined not to allow you to escape from the tunnels. Two cave goblin warriors stab, 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 stab time. They stab with spears. I stab with daggers. Stabbing's all around. Deal with savage blow for 12 damage, but they're still slain. 36 XP. The last of the cave goblins strides forward and boldly engaged you. His broad-bladed axe cutting the air only inches from your head. It's an elite cave goblin warrior. Begin combat. Cave goblin chops at you with his axe. And is slain. 69 experience. The bloody remains of the six goblins litter the floor of the Rubble Choke Passage. You spot an intriguing bone medallion around the neck of the last goblin you slew. Which reach down and snap from the length of filthy string from which it hung. It's an unidentified bone amulet. I guess I'm going to have to get some fresh string so I can wear it. Some fresh, less gross string. It's armour for your neck, somehow, even though I snapped its string. I guess I, I guess I could just thread it on one of the many pieces of string I have handy. Because you never know when you might need some string. It's armour for your neck, it's unidentified, this is a small bone amulet. That's all we know for now. With little desire to linger here any longer than necessary, you quickly check over your equipment and proceed with all possible haste along the remainder of the passage. Towards the distant and welcoming light of day. You emerge from the rubble-strewn passage into bright light of late afternoon and find Farlin seated on a broad flat stone her eyes closed and her hands raised above her head. Slowly, she opens her eyes, and when she sees you standing before her, she smiles. Without a word, she rises and steps towards you, both of her hands extended as she again closes her eyes. Instinctively, you take hold of her outstretched hands and immediately feel, feel a warming sensation as spread throughout your body. Your stamina points have been fully restored. I hope she used I hope she used some of that on herself. We had expected both you and Ivor to arrive, she says, dry her hands. And the fact that you have come alone could only mean there was bitter news to impart. Bitter news, but also great news. Bittersweet. You inform Flanin of Ivor's fate, and for a moment she is silent. But her countenance does not betray even the slightest hint of emotion. Fate is a wily creature in debt, she said. Indeed, she says. For the man that Ivor sought to meet in Elmbridge perished in its very labyrinth. From which we just escaped. Four of us fled into this place when the village, defence of the village was abandoned. And yet I, and only by the good, only by the good fortune of your timely arrival, I am the only one to leave that wretched hole alive. 
Your words do not bring comfort, she continues. For the minions of the giant have found you. Without pro for the minions of the giant who have found you. Without prior knowledge of your mission against all odds. A traitor walks amongst us, to be sure. Farnan is silent for several moments and appears to be lost in thought. When she again speaks, she tells you that the friend and ally that I have all mentioned in his final words was a man named Gathred, a revered, a long-standing member of a band that's long striven against the merciless tyranny of Justice Khan. In, our, in the West, our band is known as Whisperfoot, though of no doubt the main man named means little in these parts. Our struggle has been with Justice Khan and his wicked minions. And I would be utterly dishonest if I did not say it has been long and bitter. The giant is a brutal foe, and as cunning and elusive as a hunted fox. When his wrath has been engaged, however, he strikes quickly and fiercely. And I can think of few things I would fear more. You learn that Wisp that Whisperfoot arrived in Elmbridge two days before the giant minions attacked and overran the village. They were twenty in number and kept a low profile, lurking in the woods on the edge of town, hoping and hope that Ivor would return from his mission in triumph, bearing the one weapon they have hoped would turn the tide against Jarstis Khan. You anticipate the question she's about to ask before she has a chance to outvoice it, as you draw out the stone song from among your possessions. Her eyes widen as she nods grimly. A faint smile momentarily replaces her stony demeanour as she gazes upon the ancient horn. Alright, just tell me where to toot it. Unless, uh, do you have someone who would be better at the tooting? Because we're going we're gonna to toot this horn and petrify Justice Khan. And if he has any other giants around, well, they'll go too. I hope none of them were friendly, because um, it does not discriminate. Long has that horn haunted my great dreams, she says, gently running her fingers over the bands of silver that decorate Stonesong. It's almost unfathomable that after so many years, the answer to countless lonely prayers is here within reach. The means to ending a reign of terror that threatened to outlive us all. It's beyond all we'd hoped for, Varlin tells you, that one of the agents of Whisperfoot, a man named Kelvin, infiltrated Justice Khan ranks, posing as a gold-hungry chater to the tall cause of his fellow man. He quickly gained the man's trust and confidence, and soon learned that Justice Khan was close to discovering the location of Stonesong, the one thing he feared above all else. Justice Khan's greatest fear is that Stonesong should be discovered, fall into the hands of his enemies, she says. His fear is well founded, for I can think of none, save his wretched underlings, Think twice before turning it upon him. Armed with the knowledge he procured from the giant and his minions, Cowing returned in secret and presented his findings to Ivor, whose vast knowledge of the legend of the enchanted horn 
in few equals. With the information Kelwin provided, I've always able to determine the location of Tarngarar's tomb, and thus the final resting place of the legendary horn. Kelwin is the latest member to join our ranks, she says, and his arrival could not have been more timely. He is a man of valour and courage, with great strength of body and spirit. We are fortunate to have met up with him. He is most eager to meet you, Sir Crokington. Thalin tells you there is little time to spare, as a plan must be enacted at once if there is to be any chance of using the horn against Jastis Khan with success. The most dangerous path of this yet lies ahead, she continued, she cautions. But unless I'm bravely, gravely mistaken, you are no stranger to peril, Sir Crokington. The giant has struck first, but let our counter be swift and final. Let's go. We must find the others at once. Without warning, a tremendous jolt runs the length of your body, causing you to cry out in pain and alarm as long tines of lightning erupt from your body, encasing you in a crackling field of energy. Farlin rushes forward, a shocked expression plainly visible on her painted fate. Before he can react, before she can reach you, the lightning dissipates, leaving you, un leaving you winded, but otherwise unharmed. I no longer have the separated blade and the separated hilt. Lying on the ground at your feet is a magnificent longsword, you suddenly realise that the glimmering weapon bears the blade and hilt that you came upon. You came upon on your journey. Okay, how did that happen? Tharlin continues to... Oh, here's a giant fell blade. It's a slashing weapon. It's got the power of giant slaying. Hmm, that might come in handy. You know, if I haven't already tooted all the giants. Toot, 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 toot on the giants, toot on the giants. Unfortunately, it's way too big. Big for Sir Crokings and GUs. It's got a miller rating of 10 and plus 20x to versus giants. So it's got body, might, and spirit plus 1. Very little is known. Of this enchanted sword. Those weapon is of magical quality, well, obviously. Alright. Throwing continues to stare at you for a look of bewilderment as you as you he as you lever the sword off the ground and examine it. Hopping upon the weapon, you suddenly recall the words of a bearded stranger by the fire who gave you the blade of remarkable sword. When it is reunited with its hilt, a sword of legend shall be reborn. Well, okay, uh, can, can any of you use this? Because uh, I, 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 th I think it's kind of, I don't think we should have two giant killing super weapons in the, with the same person. Just, just means that it gets split with not, we're kind of defenseless. Would you borrow it for a bit? Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, that's what happened. One of them borrowed the giant fell blade. You know, just for the course of the adventure. Suddenly the ground shakes as a series of massive footfalls pound the earth. Farland draws a short sword and turns to a rest to face the approaching danger. 
The look of alarm on her face rapidly gives way to resolute anger as she beholds the source of the thundering steps. Climbing the wooded hillsides to the west, making straight for you, is a pair of towering hill giants. The fearsome brutes lumber up the steep grade and pause only once they reach the summit, standing only a dozen yards from you. Well, it isn't Justice Khan, says Thralin, a cold gaze locked on the nearest of giants. But it will suffice for now. The giants laugh. Their deep, rumbling voices echoing off the trees as they stride in your, du- your direction. Thralin charges the closest of the club-wielding Benamos, leaving you to face the others. It's a hill giant, which isn't quite as big as a mountain giant, but it's still really big. And I begin combat. Now, that's giant fell bl- if I hadn't given away the giant fell blade to Thalin so she can fight her giant, I would be using that. But it's too big. Too big for Sir Crokington to use. The giant swats at you with its crude club. Keep going. The enemy deals you a savage blow for 14 damage. And it is slain. 22 XP. You leap over to the massive corpse and rush to the aid of Thalin, who has been knocked down by a savage blow of the giant's club. Alright, it's a hill giant, but it's, it is already wounded. The giant swats you with his crew club and is slain. Drive XP. You help Thalin to her feet, just as two more hill giants stomp out of view of the forest to the west. The massive Unoids strike the ground threateningly with their heavy wooden clubs as they move swiftly in your direction. The simultaneous snap of several blow- bowstrings certainly wings out from the nearby forest, and a hail of arrows streaks through the air. The feathered shafts slam into the foremost giant, the brutal brute staggers back, and topples over, dead before his tremendous bulk strikes the ground with a reverberating thud. Seven men, armed with axes and long swords, their faces painted in much the same pattern as Starwind's, emerged from another part of the forest and rushed past you and engaged the remaining giant. You watch in stunned silence as they quickly surrounded and cut down their outmatched foe with lethal efficiency. Okay, I'm guessing this is the west of Whisperfoot. Blimey. Alright, Justice Khan must be really tough if he's, you know, Still alive with these guys going against him. Several, seven more men emerge from the forest, making a total of 14 that stand about the corpses of the hill giants. Their faces are all painted in the same camouflaging leaf pattern as Starwin. And when the latter has regained her feet, she introduces them as West members of Whisperfoot. Yep, yep. Call it. <laughs> Although there's literally no one else it could be. To a man, the members of the rugged band seem impressed to make your acquaintance. Apparently, your reputation as an adventurer has reached even the remote hills of Western Tysa. And with considerable tar-eyed, you learn that they've often considered trying to recruit you into their ranks. One of the men steps forward, bows deeply, and introduces himself as Crowin, and says in a deep, Wumbling voice that he is honoured to have met you. Fire relates to them the news of Ivor's death. 
For several moments, the men hang their heads in silent tribute to their fallen brothers-in-arms. However, when Farlin next tells them, mission ended, ended in success, that you have arrived in Elmbridge bearing Stonesong, the moon changes from one of just sombre reflection to one of joyous celebration. Well done, friend, says Crowin, placing his broad hand on his shoulder. There is much to be done, though, and little time. Justice Khan is on route to Elmbridge as we speak. Colwyn suddenly lapses into a fit of violent coughing that lasts nearly half a minute. He eventually recovers and begs your pardon. This battle will be the end of me yet, he laughs. Not the easiest thing to shake. It's kind of... I don't... Ah, uh, sorry I couldn't make that deep rumbling sound like a laugh. You learn that Justice Moore and Cohen returned from a visit to Justice Khan's encampment, several miles to the south of Elmbridge, where he boldly informed the giant that Stone Song had been secured by his goblin expedition and that her horn was soon to be unwooped. I was somewhat taken aback when he told me to bring the horn to Elmbridge and wait here, there for his arrival. I was somewhat taken aback. When he told me to bring the horn to Elmbridge and wait there for his arrival, says Cowan, for such a strategy only plays into our hands, and, not having known the outcome of your mission until moments ago, it was a bold gambit on my part, and one that might have ended disastrously. However, that is now a matter for the past, for everything seems to be falling in place. He indicated he will be approaching on the hills to the south. Cohen turns his thick, thickly muscled frame and stares off in the direction of the village as the company known as Whisperfoot prepares to set off on the last leg of their long-standing perilous mission. With the legendary stone song and the bold adventurer who possesses it now counted among their ranks. Cohen tells you that Justice Khan will be approaching Elbridge from the south. decided that he... You and Thorum head in that direction and set uh, section and set up to await his ambush his, his arrival. He walks straight into an ambush, his darling. Let us hope by the time the first blast of stone song reaches his here is his days have ended, for he is not likely to arrive alone, and there will no doubt be other dangers to occupy us on his way. If the horn should fail, says Cowan, but he quickly shakes his head. No, it is better not to speak of such things. It simply mustn't fail. We cannot ignore the possibility of the horn failing, says Darwin, somewhat crossly. I would not sound the horn until Justice Khan is as close as he can get. Should we fail? Should it fail, we must regroup to the north of the village and regroup. Battle against this wicked beast will not die with the failure of a chosen ploy. Tharkin adjusts her equipment and wipes the line of sweat from her brow. You, if the horn works according, the horn works according to legend. We'll find ourselves wishing we had every wretched giant in a Fedorans in a line when its blast goes off. 
cobwebs. You glance at Cloudwin and find his glare fixed upon Thorwin. The moment of anger that seems to transfix him passes, however. He turns to you. Hmm. Hmm. He's sore about that. Does he have a giant friend, perhaps? Hmm. I've spoken. I've spoken a bit rashly, he says in a deep, rumbling voice. Tharlin is right, but this is but one tactic to bring down the tyrant. And while its success ends our struggle here today, its failure can't be allowed such latitude. So spoken, by the stars it better work. Tharlin laughs and exchanges a shoulder cross with Corrin. The time for action arrives, she says, exhaling sharply. Several members of Whisperfoot, who disappeared into the forest following the battle with the hill giants, re-emerge, leading a group of horses into the open. One of the men hands you a rein to a fine steed and tells you it was Ivor's horse. It's certainly easier to out one giant on the back of a horse than on the flat of one's feet, should it come to that, says Darwin, as he leaps into the saddle with practiced ease. I've done both, Sir Crokington. I can hardly recommend the latter. Cohen clambers onto the back of his horse, but not nearly as gracefully as Tharwin. They both turn to face you expectantly, but you're already atop your steed and trotting slowly, and trotting slowly in their direction. The plan is settled. Thorin, Cowan, and you head to the south of Elmbridge and set up an ambush for Jasker Khan. The reindeer of the company, Thirteen Song, will take up position west of the village, where they will be out of sight from the approaching giant, presumably to rush in when the army, when he sends his army and keep them tied up, so I can get to Jart's discard. The departing company of thirteen bids the three of you farewell and wishes you luck, as you turn and make your way south, heading for the outskirts of the village. Within the hour, you, Tharwin and Kerwin, are set up on the edge of the hill south of Elmbridge, concealed in the thick copse of trees on the edge of the well-worn road leading north into the village. No one says a word as the three of you intently study the hills to the south, seeking any sign that might indicate the arrival of the giant and his minions. Nearly an hour into your vigil, the ground suddenly quivers slightly several times, and a distant but bellowing roar rises the air from the north. Thorin grasps, and Thorin turns his head in the direction of the ominous sound. The faint din of raging battle reaches your ears. We, we are betrayed, cries Thorin. The giant comes from the north. He's upon our brothers, quickly. We now, Thorin, is abruptly under, abrupt. Silence mid-sentence. You snap your head to your left and note she is on the ground by the feet of her horse, apparently unconscious. You turn to Karen, but a sudden jarring flow behind sends you toppling from the sh- from the saddle. You plummet from the back of your horse, striking the ground hard and, mo- and momentarily blacking out. When your vision returns, only seconds later, you stagger to your feet, horrified to see Karen speeding away upon his steed heading towards the sound of distant battle. Okay, I, I guess he's the traitor. 
Your horror mounts when you suddenly realise that Stone Song has been snatched from your possession, slung over Kelvin's back as he rapidly recedes into the distance. It's a legendary horde of Tanganar. There's no time to waste. You quickly check Tharin and note she's still breathing. Her injuries do not appear to be life-threatening, so you quick and so after quickly warning her onto her back, you leap into the saddle and ride furiously to the north, trailing in the wake of the apparently treacherous Crowin. For he has taken an imp- imposing lead on a fast horse, you prove to be a near match to Kelvin's riding skills, and soon find yourself racing right on his heels. Cohen glances over his shoulder and casts a short, scornful look at you as he madly urges his steed onwards. Context! I'd like some context, please! If you have the skill of horsemanship and wish to use it, I do, and I do. Take every bit, last bit of your skill to overtake Cohen. Picking a number. Bonus of 18. All of it from horsemanship. Got to get 44 or more so that I can pull ahead. Pick now. 65. Success. 128. It experienced a horsemanship. With some clever and daring riding, you managed to overtake and pull alongside your fleeing target. In a bold move, you leap from the saddle and grapple the startled Kelwin. Both of you topple from the back of his horse and strike the ground, speeding by underfoot with jarring force. Both you and Cohen quickly regain your feet. Miraculously, neither of you suffered any injuries as a result of the fall from the horse. Cohen glares at you, despite the fact you're no stranger. Stranger to confrontation, his physical size and obvious strength make him quite intimidating. I've no desire to tangle with you, Sir Crokington. He quietly growls, his deep and rumbling voice every bit as menacing as his physical stature and threatening demeanor. Flarlin was the traitor, and I feared you were in league with her. I will see this through. Stand in my path, and I will see you dead. I beg you, don't be a fool. Oh, well, that does explain how she was the la- only one alive in the tunnel. And also how they knew to go in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. You sense that Corwin is not telling you the entire truth. So, I can accept his explanation. I can attack him. Or I can use divination to, well, I guess, find out what the actual truth is. Channeling divination. 86p to divination. You sense that Kelwin is not telling you the entire truth. Well, while you cannot gorge the veracity of your in- of his intended declared intentions, you sense he's purposely concealed the truth from you. Alright, I'm just going to attack him. As Cohen suddenly leaps backwards and produces a small cloth pouch, he plants his feet and hurls the object at you. Pale of silvery dust arcs, arcs through the air behind the hurtling pouch. Okay, I can use fortification or telekinesis to stop this. Or presumably I can just dodge. I'm going to use telekinesis. Channel it now. It's succeeded. 16 XP to telekinesis. You summon your power of telekinesis. Focus it on the pouch hurtling towards you. Using the power of your mind, you avert the object's course. Sending it fly o- flying over to the right of where you stand. You quickly turn to face Kelwin. 
Much to dismay, he discovered Cowan is already taking flight and speeding away atop his swift steed. Your dismay mounts when you note that your own horse has bolted, leaving you without any means to effectively continue the pursuit. With no other alternative, with no other alternative at hand, and with no intention of abandoning hope, you quickly set off on foot, heading straight north towards the din of distant battle, and the dull, reverberating thud of heavy footfalls. The sound of a waging battle to the north greets your ears as you move into the village. Believing that Cowan has gone towards the battle, you quickly make your way, north, way through the deserted streets and press into the rolling hills to the north. As you pass over a small, over the back of a small rise on the northern outskirts of Elmbridge, your eyes fall upon a dreadful scene laid out on the sprawling hills just before you. A massive force, force of goblins and ogres is engaged in a fierce battle with a small number of humans on the rolling slopes just north of where you stand. You, inst you instantly recognise the members of Wisterfoot among the vastly outnumbered human combatants as they wage a desperate fight against the merciless and seemingly endless tide of the enemy. Your first instinct is to charge into the thray and, uh, and rush to the aid of the beleaguered humans, but your thoughts are interrupted by the sounding of a horn to the east. A chorus of horns ring out echoing through the hills as the thunder of countless hoofbeats fills the air. What could this be? Cavalry, I guess? Because I don't think anyone owes wise horses but humans here. Well, humans in Tazzlewind disguises humans. A line of cavalry, bearing the standard of the king, arrive on the eastern edge of the hills and draw into witchy formation. Several of the risers raise up long, curved horns and turn their heads skyward as they sound their instruments of war. More and more of the armed horsemen continue to appear and draw into formation behind the initial line. The foremost horses of the company strain against their bridles and stamp their feet impatiently as their riders await the order to charge. A deafening chorus of horns sounds and at once the horse legion neatly divides into two separate forces, each charging headlong into the raging melee spread across the foes before them. And the battle has been joined. Okay, a minute, I think I think we need some heavy infantry so we can do a hammer and anvil sort of thing. Yeah, the infantry pin down the forces and then the cavalry charge into their backs and rout them. It's, it's a common strategy. The, a bellowing roar fills the air, sending an involuntary shudder the length of your spine. You look to the north, in the direction of the sound, and behold a chilling sight. Striding to the top of a distant rise, flanked by a pair of hill giants, and preceded by a legion of armoured ogres, is a massive mountain giant, the gargantuan humanoid, whose sheer size serves to dwarf the hill giants by his size, pauses at the top of the wise and appears to survey the scene of battle spread out before him. It is your first glimpse of Justice Khan, and he is truly fearsome. With a black metal breastplate striped to his chest, 
and a massive spike club resting on one shoulder. Justice Khan turns his head from side to side as he watches the conflict that wages amongst the hills to the south. A shock of thick black hair crowns his head, descending in matted locks to just below his broad shoulders, and from the centre of his wide fang face extends a nose that has been so badly broken it's barely recognisable any longer. I guess that had to be Hornley Jack that did that, because... <laughs> I don't think there's anyone else that could. Suddenly, your attention is drawn to a man on horseback, racing along the edge of the hills in the direction of the giant. It is Kelvin. Against all odds, you set off at once in a bid to try and intercept him. You move along the edge of the forest, skirting the eastern flank of the battlefield, making your way towards the hilltop where Jars Jaskarn has positioned himself. Even at its distance, the towering mountain giant is a terrifying spectacle to behold. As you approach the hill, you note that the armoured ogres have formed a defensive wing around the giant's perch, about two-thirds of the way up the hill. The two hill giants, massive in their own right, remain at their master's side. Seemingly, the dwarf in comparison to his massive bulk. Your eyes once again fall upon the lone rider, who is now urging his steed up the slope. As Cohen nears the line of ogres, the armoured beasts start part to allow him to pass, and he continues his ascent. As he nears his summit, Kelwyn slows his approach and seems to make some sort of gesture in the direction of Jastis Khan. Right, yeah. Okay, if he's the double agent... Yeah, it makes sense he should carry it because he's the only one that will be allowed close enough. But he couldn't have just, you know, explained that, but... Oh, well, I guess I guess it was a tense situation. Suddenly, the giant's eyes open wide with fear. With a single fluid motion, Kelwin draws Song Song to his lips before he can sound the ancient horn. He inexplicably topples from the saddle, striking the ground hard. Well, bugger. Upon impact, Stonesong flies with his hand, landing directly at the feet of the intended target of his magic. Ugh. Oh no! Justice Khan reaches down and retrieves the horn, his gaze momentarily transfixed on the ancient weapon as he returns to his full daunting height. He grins wickedly. Wickedly, and appears to say something to Kelvin. The bold warrior staggers to his feet, and the first time you notice the feathered shaft protruding from his left side. The goblin who loosed the shaft stands several yards to the right of Justice Khan, no doubt awaiting the order with cool master. Oh, so it wasn't just a trip, he was shot. <laughs> Happens next is still rooted in my memory, your memory to this day. Justice Swan takes a step towards the wizen Kelwin and raises his club. A swift and brutal stroke of the massive weapon says Kelwin spawning to the ground several yards from where he previously stood. He does not move again. The mighty giant casts a derisive glance in the direction of Kelwin's body, but quickly turns his attention to the enchanted horn resting between the thumb and forefinger of his left hand. His brow furls. The cowering giant grits his teeth, 
as he seems to be attempting to crush Stonesong with all his might. After only several moments, he howls furiously and turns his rage on the goblin standing to his right. A single, powerful stroke from the club instantly drives the hapless humanoid into the ground, killing him instantly. Yeah, uh, I'll just put that on my list of why you should get tooted. The goblin, who's timely, timely out on horse Kelvin, has now shared his apparent face. Go on, he was your most useful dude. You know, he actually helped. He saved your life. Now, if that goblin hadn't shot him, you'd have been totally tooted. Despite the unexpected turn of events, you know you must now take back Stonesong if there is to be any chance of defeating Justice Khan. Of the horn firmly resting in the grip of the giant himself, you realise that the endeavour will prove to be no small task. Still, you take consolation in the fact that Justice Khan, despite its obvious might, seems unable to destroy the horn. The din of the battle rises in pitch and you turn to look upon a brutal scene. What your eyes behold is inspiring and granting you a renewed sense of purpose. Renewed sense of hope. My sense of purpose is the same as before. The, the cavalry have largely routed the goblins and are now in battle with a sizable group force of ogres. With the sound of the raging battle pounding in, pounding in your head, you quickly move off in the direction of the giant's hill. You're covered less than, less than 50 yards when you suddenly come upon a band of eight, eight armoured armor goblins that don't appear to be deterred by the fact that their kin have either fled or been slain. The goblins have not yet spotted you, but they are headed your way. So I can attack them, attempt to hide from them, use illusion, or use gating. Um, I probably used illusion last time, so I'm going to use gating. Channeling it now. It succeeded. 16 XP to gating. A black portal opens silently next to you, and you immediately step into the swirling vortex. Only seconds later, you emerge from the portal to find yourself almost 50 yards beyond the band of goblins. As the portal closes, you turn and quickly move off in the direction of the giant's hill. You reach the base of the hill atop which Jarsis Khan is perched. If at, if at a distance a towering mountain giant seems fearsome, at its relatively close range is nothing short of terrifying. You note with a good dis deal of dismay that he wears the stone song touched tucked into a massive belt that encircles his waist. I guess you'll figure out how to destroy it later. You know, and I just have to make sure that there is no later. Justice Garm grumbles as he surveys the ongoing battle in the hills beneath his lofty vantage point. As if he's dissatisfied with how events are unfolded. Folding, he issues a stern command, and the black armoured ogres that wing the crown of the hill begin a swift Swift but orderly descent as they move to join the battle at their master's behest. A second command, spoken in a tongue you cannot comprehend, dispatches the two hill giants to flank him. The gruesome pair make their way down the hillside behind the ogres. 
Their gaze is fixed upon the brutal melee they've been ordered to join that continues to wage in the hills to the south. You fear for the cavalry and the members of Wisterbrook, whisper for who may still be engaging the enemy. For the arrival of the armoured Ogre Legion and the two giants is not likely to bode well for their chances of success. But the best thing I can do is petrify Jastis Khan. Then their entire army will probably fall apart. Because this does look like the type, the type of army led by, you know, personal loyalty and fear. Rather than, you know, any ideological personal commitment that would keep them fighting even after Justice Khan left. You turn your gaze from the scene of the battle to Justice Khan. Mountain Giant now stands alone atop the steep rise, his massive outform ominously silhouetted against the bright afternoon sky. With his personal guard dispatched into battle, mounting the hill to each inch should prove to be a somewhat similar affair. Knowing full well that a victory over the giant and his cruel minions will require the retrieval of Stonesong, you wholly determine your next course of action. Got a few options here. I could advance stealthily up the hill from behind the giant. Use gating or use illusion. Eh, illusion. Telling it now. 64 XP to illusion. Your well crafted illusion has produced the desired effects. The line of illusionary cavalry circling the base of the hill has secured Jastis Khan's attention. The giant looks down upon the horse soldiers, now besieging his hill, studying them with a wary eye. With his attention presently diverted, you swiftly begin your ascent. Fortunately, I'm also green, so this actually makes it quite easy for Sir Crokington. Moving steadily up the back, back side of the hill, a small while later, he reached the crown of the hill. You stand on the crown of the hill, just behind a group of tall hardwoods, just to the right of Jastis Khan. Oh, there are trees up there. The fearsome mountain giant is only a dozen yards from you, yet appears oblivious to your presence, as his cold gaze remains fixed on the field of battle below. On the far side of the hilltop, still lying where the giant's blow carried it, is the unmoving body of Kelwin. Your eyes shift from the bodies, Jastis Khan, where tucked into the giant's broad, broad hide belt, you behold the very object which that Kelwin took from you. Stone Song. At this close proximity, Jastis Khan is a more terrifying figure than you could possibly have imagined. You find, it, you find it hard to believe the towering mountain giant, whose every feature seems to hint at his unearthly might, could possibly fear any living creature. Despite the sobering assessment of his obviously talentedly, realise the success of your mission and the survival of those now in battle with the giant's minions rests on the retrieval of the enchanted horn of Tang Tanganar, owing to its present location. All indications are this will prove to be no easy task. You cautiously plot out slink out behind the trees to prepare to put a bold plan into action. I've got a few options. Telekinesis. 
elementalism. Feathery, or I presume, please continue. What, what does please continue do? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to press please continue. Suddenly, Justice Khan turns and stares directly at you, his grim countenance twisting into an expression of dire rage. Your blood runs cold, and it takes all your will to keep from physically cowering before him as he glares down at you. So we have another hero, he snarls, his deep, echoing voice not far akin from the rumble of thunder. No would-be hero has ever lived to remember the day he stood before. Just is gone. So too comes your end, worm. Your heart skips a beast. A beat as the Justice Khan raises his fearsome club high into the air, preparing to strike you a crushing, decisive blow. Okay. I definitely shouldn't get hit by this. It will really hurt in the morning. And the evening. And the afternoon. And, uh, and permanently from then on. You know, if I don't just die. So I could dodge. I could use fortification. Or telekinesis. You know, that sounds cool. Telekinesis it is. You hastily attempt to summon your power of telekinesis and focus on the giant's club now cutting a deadly downward arc towards you. And channeling it. Succeeded. 384 experience to telekinesis. Whew, that's a lot. You focus your telekinetic power on the rapidly descending club and managed to send it off course to the right by several feet. Impended by your powerful mastery of telekinesis, the giant's blow lands several yards wide, lifting an enraged bellow from its mighty wielder. Just just as Khan curses angrily and draws his weighty club back in preparation for a second strike. Well, I'll just block it again. Your fight! Is with me, Jask. Wings out a deep, anger-laced voice. The sudden sounding of the voice startles, visibly startles Jask's Khan. As he turns to behold the source of the voice, you follow suit, and your eyes fall upon a shocking sight. The very sight has obviously shaken the giant, battered and bloodied. Kelwin is slowly staggering to his feet. You stare in disbelief, unable to comprehend how Kelwin could have survived the savage blow struck by Jars Discard. The grim-faced warrior fully regains his feet and draws his axe. Axe, levelling it at the mountain giant. No heroes live to recall the day they stood before you, sneers Kelwin, his voice as thunderous as the giant he boldly steps towards. I'm no hero, and you already fear me, worm. Okay, what is Kelwin? What is he? He's not a regular dude. He's not even a really, really buff regular dude. He's something else. He's something that won't just die. Something far tougher 
than, than regular humans. Probably maybe not a regular wait fear. But there's only one person that Justice Khan fears, and that's Hornley Jack. Hmm. But why would Hornley Jack even think about tooting that horn? He'd be petrified too. Curious. Curious. You watch in stunned disbelief as Kelvin throws himself headlong at Justice Khan, executing a series of brutal strokes that force the towering mountain giant to retreat several steps. Justice Khan recovers from what you can only assume is his surprise at the bold attack, and counters the assault with a flurry of crushing blows. Incredulously, seeming to defy reality, Kelvin parries and deflects each of the savage strikes as if they were made by another human-sized combatant. We're certain that Kel is not all that he appears. A look of fear passes over the giant's face, as Cohen again surges forward, swinging wildly with his broad-bladed axe. You sense the giant's growing desperation, as he struggles to fend off the furious attack. A painful howl escapes from the mountain giant's lips as Kelwin's axe bites deeply into the exposed flesh of his leg, staggering the mighty giant and swiftly sending him to, sending him to one knee. Despite the shock of this stun, stunning turn of events, you remain focused on the horn tucked into the giant's belt. With Justice Khan momentarily stooped on his knee and stone so within which you rush forward and take hold of the mighty weapon. You have reclaimed the enchanted corn of Tanganar. Justice Khan roars furiously and draws back his massive fist before bringing it down on Kelvin. You are again stunned when Kelvin reaches up with both hand and catches the giant's fist on the downstroke. He thrusts his arm upwards, repelling the blow and sending the mountain giant toppling backwards. Quinoblead is described as an unearthly display of might, like, just like giant strong. The fearsome mountain giant regains his feet and rises to his full height, warm with rage as he prepares to strike Calvin. The horn! The horn! The horn, you fool! Screams Calvin, turning to you. The horn! You draw out Stone Song. Particular item may be of use here. And the game cannot continue until you use it. It's fixed. This is the only way it could possibly end. Time to use Stone Song. There is no other option. You cannot fight Justice Khan manually. You cannot. He's too strong. He's too big. And also it would make the second part of this trilogy utterly pointless if you did. Yes, it would be narratively disappointing. And also you'd have to write an entire other pass. Write whole new things that aren't nearly as satisfying. So obviously you have to use Stone Song. Use Stone Song.
as you draw stone song to your lips, Justice Khan turns towards you, his face ashen, his eyes widen in fear, as a terror-struck giant draws his massive club and attempts to bring, bring the weighty weapon down upon you, a last desperate attempt to preempt the hounding sounding of the ancient horn from the mountain giant who has known no mortal equal has never tasted de- defeat it is a fleeting moment of sheer sheer terror and it is already too late a, de- a deafening blast erupts from the end of the horn as you force the air from your lungs and into the enchanted weapon the reverberating sound echoes throughout the hills countlessly repeating the call not heard since Tarangar himself last sounded the horn centuries ago. The hills again ring with the voice of Tarangar's beloved stone song. Now presumably, if this works, it won't just be Jastis Khan who's petrified. Also, those two hill giants that he brought with him will be petrified. Which will immediately help with the battle below. Although then you will have these giant stone statues just there. All awkwardly. Eh, well. I'm sure they'll find a use for them. Even if only just using, just dragging them into the town square and just saying, Hey! This is the time when those giants got petrified. You want to hear me sing the song about it? <laughs> Justice Khan begins to tremble, and you are forced to dodge his massive club as the weighty weapon trembles from his, topples from his decaying hand, striking the ground where you've been standing only moments before. The fearsome giant's skin rapidly assumes a deep, as you, as he flashes a look of burning hatred at you, as he staggers to the left and right, as if struggling to maintain his balance. Suddenly, he turns his head skyward and cries out in anguish, as the sound of a splintering stone replaces the fading wing of the horn. From the toes of his boots up to the tip of his head, the mountain giant is swiftly turning into solid stone. With his ashen, hardening face contorting into a painful grimace, the giant slowly turns towards you. You've won then, he croaks weakly, his voice lacking even the slightest trace. His former powerful resonance take pride in that. The petrification rapidly consumes his torso and spreads to his face. Forever freezing the giant's anguished countenance, the horrified look that transfixed it is the last fleeting, terrified moment of his life. Dude, I think it's actually scarier when it takes when it takes just long enough for you to know it's over. I wonder I hope it's I hope for his sake that his consciousness goes very quickly. You don't, you don't just, you know, leave a magically still-functioning still, feel, still functioning brain 
in the skull, unpetrified, unable to see or hear or taste or touch or smell, just there until it dies. Because that, that, that would be, that would be hella, that would be really bad. Less than a minute after the sounding of the horn, Jaskis Khan has been transformed into solid stone. He does not speak or move again, and never, ever will. The sharp sound of crackling stone draws your drays to your hand when you behold an unexpected sight. Stone Song, the horn of Tarnganar, has itself become petrified. A stiffening sensation in the tips of your fingers causes you to immediately and wisely drop the horn. It strikes the ground and shatters into several jagged stone fragments. I guess Justice Khan was just too high a level. He just used up all its magic. You turn your gaze from the petrified whore for Justice Khan and the remains of Stone Song to acknowledge Kelwin. You eager to thank the brave warrior for the vital role he played in the giant's defeat. You are stunned by what greets your eyes. Kelwin stands on the edge of the hill now. The mountain giant he fought forever frozen in stone. A look of serenity is affixed to the wise petrified face as he stands with his hands folded atop the end of his axe as his unmoving eyes gaze out across the hills to the west as if fixed on some distant but indeterminable point. You, you move over and examine the petrified remains of Kelly more closely unable to fathom why it is he has shared in Jars Discarn's gruesome fate. You suddenly realise the din of battle no longer rises in the air, and your eyes fall upon the hills to the south, only to find the last feeble remnants of the giant's wicked army have taken flight, scattering wildly into the forest. Their leader defeated and their morale broken, the cool minions of Jastis Gone no longer have the will to stand against Tyson Cavalry. A lone voice calls out from your left, and you turn to behold a familiar face appearing over the crown of the hill. Who could it be? Farlin Farlin smiles upon seeing you and makes her way over at once, meeting you with shoulder cross beneath the shadow, the petrified form of Jastis Gone. A day long prayed for, she says, smiling broadly. She circles the towering statuesque figure of the mountain giant, gazing up at his frozen form and commending you on your victory. When you tell her about the part that Kelwin played in the giant's defeat, she nods stoically and makes her way over to the petrified warrior. Farin kneels before Kelwin, closes her eyes and silently prays. After nearly a minute, her eyes open, and she rises, turns to face, face you. I pray for Kelwin, she says. May his soul find rest. Kelwin pauses and, look, and turns to look back at the statue of Kelwin. I pray for Kelwin, she repeats, but may we count us so fortunate not, not to have had... Not to... 
have had measure to deal with his wrath in another time and place, without justice Khan to garner his attention. But I say too much. It is not right that I speak ill of him in the light of his passing. Let me say no more. Standing between the petrified figures of Kelwin and Justice Khan, you and Farlane watched the scene unfolding in the hills to the south. In the late stages of the fight, a band of border wages arrived and helped turn the tide against the enemy. Oh, those border rangers always coming in handy. They were. The rangers now assist with the removal of the human dead from the battlefield and a small number of them pursue the fleeing goblins into the forest. You later learn that several members of Whisperfoot have fallen today, in battle against the minions of the giant. But Farland tells you that the defeat of Justice Khan, with the defeat of Justice Khan, their lives were not forfeit. Fit in vain, each of us swore he would see an end to his menace, he says, placing her hand on your shoulder. There are none among us who would not have willingly given his or her life to effect that end. Thanks to you, Sir Crokington. A long, a long struggle ends here, today, in triumph. Long last, a victory. You and Thalin are joined on the summit by the captain of the Tyson Cavalry. The surviving members of Whisperfoot, three border rangers, all present stand silently before the Justice Khan, staring in awe at the petrified remains of the fearsome giant. Not to be believed, mutters the captain, slowly shaking his head. The three border rangers nod in agreement. For nearly a month following the defeat of Justice Khan, the towns and villages of Western Tosa relight in jovial celebration. Of, um, of their freedom from the giant's long and cruel reign of tyranny. The death of Justice Khan, the scattering of what remains of his foul minions, signals the dawn of a new era for those who lived beneath his oppressive shadow. The gratitude of those whose very, li- those very lives you have forever changed manifests itself in a variety of ways. At first you valiantly refused to accept any sort of reward for your part in bringing about the giant's demise. However, the envoys of the people of people of Western Tysa were relentless. When all is said and done, you find yourself quite a few gold tokens richer for your efforts. Quite a few being 5,000 gold tokens. Oh, that's nearly as much gold tokens as I, I gave up. A special celebration is held in the village of Hawklaw, where for three days you and the members of Whisperfoot are the guests of honour. At length, the celebrations come to an end, and life returns to the normal throughout the western portion of the kingdom. It's then that you are faced with saying farewell to the members of Whisperfoot as they depart for their homes along the western border, and you make ready to strike out in search of further adventure. Maybe one day our paths will cross again, smirks Darling. Though I think I'm done chasing giants for a while. A good long while here. You'll probably make more use of it than I will. She reaches up 
and slips a thick gold chain over her head. She then presses the chain and the amethyst medallion that hangs from it into the palm of your hand. It's a medallion of blessed fortune. Let's have a look at it. It raises stamina points by one, agility by one, mind by one, spirit by two, and luck by four. This amethyst medallion hands from, from a thick gold chain. Always bought me luck, Sir Crooks, and she smiles. I hope it will, hope it does as well for you. You thank Tharlin for the medallion, and bid her and the other members of Whisperfoot a fond farewell. When you have departed, you too set off on your way, slipping out of Hawklaw as quietly as you can, your body well rested and your spirit thirsting for adventure. The name Sir Crokington will never be forgotten by the people of Western Tulsa, whose lives, those children's lives, have been spread through dread and uncertainty of a woeful existence beneath the shadow of a ruthless tyrant. The story of Sir Crokington the Bold and Stone Song is now a familiar tale in these parts, and one that's taken its proud and rightful place among the greatest heroic episodes of the age. And to this day, the crown of the hill, now known as Giant Wise, stands statues of Kelwyn and Justice Khan. On a clear day, their silhouettes are clearly visible against the backdrop of a pale blue sky constant reminder that fateful afternoon in late autumn long ago when the hills echoed with the voice of Stonesong one last time and a bold hero stood defiant before the wrath of a giant well several bold heroes several bold heroes have stood defiant before the wrath of the giant but most especially Calvin, who paid the ultimate price, willingly and without hesitation. And that ends this adventure with 4,096 experience to general and 512 experience to all skills and powers, which is very nice. Now, Firstly, let's identify any those things we any things we got. A medallion of mighty misfortune. And also sixteen XP to Arcania. Okay. Uh, let's see that's that's a neck armor, isn't it? Medallion of mighty misfortune. So that boosts your might by four and lowers your luck by four. The isn't any particular reason to use that I mean I guess if you had a mind check coming up you might want to use that and you but a lot of them have luck in it anyway but it was a mind check that didn't have luck maybe well it's more options so no no use to Sir Crokington who already is 20 and all everything so that would just ruin everything if that was equipped. This bone medallion is warm to the touch. So what shall be next? There's uh, adventures in Hawklaw. 
There's Proving Grounds 3. Yeah. Alright. What could I do? What could I do? Alright. Hmm. Well, we, we can now continue tasks. We can now continue doing work for the Thane. So, that's what I'll do next. A message to Merkspur, which is a task for Thane Poland. But, until then, farewell, fellow adventurers. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.